Let's talk digital. We are at the cutting edge of digital tweaks, changes, transformation. A local digital marketing podcast. Conversing with industry experts and doing excerpts about the exceptional. Hosted by Audrey Naidu. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. I'm really looking forward to what's coming up in South Africa in the next couple of months and years. How's it, everyone? Welcome back to Let's Talk Digital with myself, Audrey Naidu. Over the past five years, funding in agri-tech startups across the African continent has been rising consistently. The sector stands in fifth position when it comes to the amount of capital raised by startups in Africa. Kula's business-to-business marketplace helps small-scale farmers to bring their products to formal markets by offering them cost-effective logistics services. My guest today is Kiridas Jancholo, founder and CEO of Kula, talking to us about this digital disruption we are seeing in the agri-space. Kuridas is a young entrepreneur from South Africa with over seven years experience in building startups from ideas to fully-fledged businesses. He's passionate about finding inclusive, sustainable solutions for emerging markets. Kuridas, welcome and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Hi Audrey, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. You have a very interesting name, Caridas. Um, I haven't met <laughs> anyone with that name before, so you're the first. Uh, where does the name come from? <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's an interesting story. Um, it was actually given to me by my, by my dad uh, before he did what I like to call a Goku. You know, if you watch Dragon Ball Z back in the day when Goku puts oh, his yes. fingers in between his eyes, mm. he kind of disappears. <laughs> <laughs> So my dad gave me the name and then did a Goku. Uh, <laughs> it's a Greek name that uh, it means traveler. Um, it's quite a unique name. I like it. Uh, it means, you know, if, if you Google Caritas, you're probably going to find me. So it, it's made my Google search a whole lot cleaner. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, very unique. And I'm sure interesting personality to support that. Yes. <laughs> Kuridas, you are currently CEO and founder of one of the top tech startups in South Africa, coming from an actuarial science background with zero experience in the agricultural space. Tell us the story behind this. Yeah, it's been a really interesting, uh, an interesting journey, uh, very unconventional. Um, I went to the University of Cape Town to study um, actuarial science. Um, I was on the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation Scholarship, and that's where I met my business partner, Matt. And I think from the get-go at Varsity, we started our, our first business. I think it was in the second semester. Ran that business for quite some time. Um, and I think that business kind of grew. Um, we got more clients. And I think by the time we were in third year, we were in a position where we really, uh, you know, had to kind of choose between business and school. Um, because you can't tell a client, you know, that you can't deliver on a deliverable because you had a test or because you had a tutorial, you know, or an exam. Um, so we took the leap of faith in, in our third year, uh, in our final year, actually, and we uh, we decided to drop out and, and come to Joburg to run the business full-time. Ran that business full-time, but we've always felt that we wanted to do something more impactful, you know, something more meaningful, something that would really leave a dent and, and a mark, you know, in the way that the world works and that would impact the real lives of people, and met, had the opportunity in 2016 to take a trip to, to Israel. And, you know, he came back just talking about how, you know, this country that's on a desert had so much agricultural output, you know, a whole lot more than what you would find in a number of African countries. And naturally, because we are numbers guys, we were fascinated. You know, we started looking at, 
you know, the agriculture numbers across the continent. And it was quite shocking how big a competitive advantage agriculture is for the continent. You know, more than half of the people on the continent are farmers. Um, you know, more than half of the world's arable land is on the continent. Um, yet we are still, you know, buying more food um, than what we are sending out. You know, over 40 billion US dollars of food comes into the continent. And that didn't make sense. And I think the misconception out there is that, you know, when you're starting a business, you know, you need to start something that you necessarily know. The fact that we don't come from the industry and the fact that we don't have, you know, that experience, it actually turned out to be a huge advantage because we could look at the industry, you know, from a fresh perspective. You know, the incumbents in the industry um, are comfortable with the way that things are being done. They're okay with the way that things are being done. Uh, but because we had that outside view, you know, we were quite shocked and appalled by a lot of the way that the value chain works and, and a lot of the way that the, the supply chain works. And we spent a lot of time and we still do, um, you know, do, doing a lot of listening to, to farmers, um, to buyers, to fresh produce buyers, to input suppliers. And out of that, you know, uh, came, yeah, came the concept of Kula. So the idea just with us coming in from a fresh perspective and giving the industry a fresh look uh, turned out to be, yeah, turned out, turned out to be a real, a real positive. Um, after we had looked at, you know, the continental numbers, we actually spent almost a year um, working on, 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 yeah, on some farms around Makapanstad, um, around Soweto. Um, and the idea there was basically to be a fly on the wall. So fortunately, our previous business uh, it was a very seasonal business. So we do work, you know, on a quarterly basis. So we had a lot of free time on our hands. And we spent this time just working with farmers and just seeing how they went about their business. And we picked up a lot of inefficiencies. And that's where the solution, you know, for Kula came from, built it from the ground. You know, we started delivering off of the back of a, a VW Polo. Um, and it's been really, yeah, a true story that started, you know, on the ground where we knew nothing about the industry to where we are today. Yeah, that is quite an inspirational story so far. But coming back to Kula, what is your core value proposition to the agricultural market? I think our core value proposition, you know, I think the the, the story of Kula has changed. You know, the, the definition of Kula has changed. You know, initially we had set out to solve the market access problem um, primarily and just connecting farmers with markets. And as we're solving that problem, you know, we realized that the industry is very interconnected. It's very interdependent. It's hard to solve for market access when you're not considering logistics, when you're not considering quality. And essentially what we have now, we have what we call the Kula ecosystem. And the Kula ecosystem is three key platforms. Um, the first being our inputs uh, app, which allows farmers to purchase agricultural products from the top suppliers, both local and international, and also get um, uh, agricultural services um, on farm. Um, and excess uh, certified, you know, uh, providers of agricultural services. And secondly, our fresh produce marketplace allows farmers to um, to trade directly um, with formal markets. Our funded dashboard helps us connect funders with markets. And in terms of where we are right now, our inputs app is currently live and open to the general public. That's what we're rolling out at the moment. Our fresh produce market is in pilot. And even in pilot, the work that we had done um, on the fresh produce side, you know, put us on the map, winning the MTN Business App of the Year Award in 2018-19 in Best Agricultural Solution. 
being chosen among the top 10 social enterprises in the world by the Chivas Regal World uh, Venture Competition um, and uh, being chosen as a top startup in Johannesburg uh, by Africa Arena. And now we're excited you know, to come out of this pilot. We've spent quite a bit of time in pilots because we have not wanted to release half-baked products into the market. We wanted to release uh, products that were well thought out and well tested with real users. And hence this three-year cycle that we've been in and we're excited now to roll out our inputs, um, our inputs app uh, nationwide. There is a misconception that the agricultural market is not tech-savvy. Uh, what is your position on that? It's actually a major misconception, Ori. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of one of the big myths, you know, but I think I always give a lot of credit to WhatsApp, you know, because um, obviously the average age as it stands in agriculture is, is, is a fairly older person, but not really old, um, you know, 40s, 30s upwards. Um, but WhatsApp actually did a lot for us in terms of digital adoption, in terms of adoption on, 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 uh, of mobile. So WhatsApp, because it was so widely adopted, it kind of forced, has forced everybody to get onto a smartphone. So by the time we came in, you know, farmers knew what the App Store is. They knew what it is to download. They knew what it is to update. You know, they could basically operate. Um, they, yeah, they could basically operate uh, operate the system and operate um, the the various apps. And when you go in, agriculture is actually, from a production perspective, um, it's quite a leader in tech. You know, if you look at the way commercial farmers go um, about their production, you know, where, you know, the plants can tell the sprinklers when to come on, when, how much water they need to feed it. There's actually a lot of, <laughs> a lot of innovation um, that, that, that's happening in agriculture. Even historically, um, a lot of what's moved humanity forward um, from back in the olden days has been innovation that's been driven, you know, around food production. How do we better, you know, feed populations? And I think from a digital perspective, the industry is lagging a bit. Um, like, for example, with our inputs app, you know, it's, it's hard for a farmer uh, to buy products. Uh, so, for example, they have to drive 10 kilometers in one direction to a seed supplier, 30 kilometers in another direction to a chemical supplier, you know, to the animal health products supplier. Um, and we basically kind of brought in that shared economy model where a farmer can easily digitally buy the products that they need and the products can either be delivered to farm or to the nearest depot. Um, and they can also access, you know, top-notch agricultural services in a much more seamless way. So the view that the industry is not adopting tech is actually a false one because the industry is moving forward. I mean, in today's day and age, everyone's grandma is on WhatsApp sending motivational messages um, every morning, you know. So WhatsApp has done a lot from a mobile um, adoption perspective, and it really laid fertile ground for us to, to get in. I definitely agree with you in terms of WhatsApp. So your business is bridging the gap between the formal and informal sector. Is that true? I would say, uh, I think, yeah, I would say, you know, I, I wouldn't call the emerging farmers informal. I think we're almost bridging the gap between, you know, the first generation guys. You know, if there's a lot of first generation farmers mm. that are getting into the industry for the first time that don't know where to go, that don't know where to find the right assistant, that don't always know where, what are the best products to, to, to get. Um, so I think our role is really sort of leveling the playing field, you know, putting the guy who just started today and got a piece of land, giving that person the same resources, the same access to resources and the same access to services that someone who's been in the game to, for 30 years um, kind of has. So we're kind of helping to sort of level the playing field 
um, helping the industry to be a whole lot more transparent um, because right now it really works in major silos. Um, so for your success, you know, in the industry really depends on who you know at the moment. So, for example, if you want someone to come and do a global gap assessment at your farm, um, the quality of service you're going to receive is as good as the advice that your neighbor is going to give you. And we want to level that playing field and allow everybody to access the top and the best agricultural products and also the top and the best agricultural services. And that's why we partner both with local and international companies. On day one at launch, we already have over 90 suppliers on the platform, the likes of Syngenta, Bayer, Adama, um, you know, even the likes of Monsanto, the ACIs of this world. We've got various suppliers already loaded on the system on day one, and we're leveling the playing field, almost building a blueprint for the guy who just started to know how do I go from this point to where I need to go. And I always make use of the Uber example. You know, the cab industry was never really a sexy industry for anyone to go into, but Uber kind of came in and said, look, a Toyota Corolla is going to cost you 4.5 installment per month, probably 5K with insurance, but hey, put it on Uber and you could make 30K per month, you know, and all of a sudden the cab industry and everyone is buying an Uber, you know, and, and putting it on there to make extra cash. So we want to, over time, build a similar value proposition for agriculture. Will we allow a young person who's faced with the choice of going into employment or, or starting um, a business, will we make agriculture sort of a viable option by removing all the blur and making it very transparent and very simple to know where I'm going to buy the products I'm, I'm going to need, where I'm going to get the services I'm going to need, and where am I going to ultimately sell the product that I'm going to get. So, in essence, you are Uberizing the agricultural market. In essence, we are? Uberizing the agricultural market. I would definitely wouldn't say Uberizing. I think the, the word is shared economy. Um, so, Uber is a shared economy startup. Yes. Airbnb is a shared economy startup. So, we, we're basically taking that shared economy um, shared economy model. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you are Uberizing yeah. <laughs> it. Yes, so today, tell me, <laughs> you, you spoke about 90 suppliers on the platform. Uh, how many farmers have you got registered? So, we've got uh, two platforms uh, that, are, that farmers can sign up onto. Um, I think we have about 3,000 um, when we were at launch on the input side. But over the past month or so, we've gotten an additional 1.5 um, since launch. And now we're doing a massive media rollout with TV, radio, and hence the conversation that we're having with you with podcasts and various other segments. Um, so the market we're going for, you know, you've got over about 30 to 40,000 commercial farmers. You've got about 200 to 300,000 semi-commercial farmers. And the overall agricultural population in the country, including the guy who plants in their backyard, um, goes up to, you know, 1.5 to 2 million. So that's the market that we're going for. But in pilot, we had the 3,000 that we were sort of um, working with or that were signed up on the platform. And then now that number is gradually growing. Even over the past month, we've had significant uptake. So you have a huge opportunity to grow. Yes, yes. And also not even that. I mean, if you look at the opportunity, um, Audrey, you know, if you have to look at a, you know, a, a food delivery platform, for example, you know, they're kind of dealing with, you know, one burger at a time, you know, one, one uh, hundred bucks burger at a time. In agriculture, farmers buy in bulk and they buy in bulk at the beginning of the season. You know, one farmer, you may find that a farmer can easily spend about 50K per hectare um, and you're working with guys who have 200 hectares, 500 hectares, 50 hectares. So the opportunity, you know, from an agricultural perspective is quite massive. 
And I think because from the outside view, it doesn't look sexy. You know, when people think agriculture, they think a shovel. You know, they think hard work. They think being scorched in the sun. But when you consider that everyone has to eat, you and I today are going to eat. We ate yesterday. Um, you probably ate already in the morning and you're going to keep eating. So it's, it's almost at the base. It's, it's such a strong business case because COVID or no COVID, at the end of the day, we have to eat. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's what makes the industry, you know, quite attractive. But from the outside, um, there hasn't been true sort of or, or major success stories from an agri-tech perspective. And I think we're hoping to be one of those that will inspire young people to start building solutions for the industry. You spoke about the three tech platforms that you've now built. What what were some of the early tech uh, challenges or problems you've experienced along the way? Sheesh. <laughs> I think we'll need a separate uh, podcast to, to, to discuss those. <laughs> but I think it's, it's various problems. And I think, uh, you know, within SA, the funding problem is an issue. You know, I think that's why a lot of people tend to go into, into corporate. Um, so I think the first issue was finding the right devs um, to build the platform. Um, and we had the opportunity of meeting, you know, our co-founder, Jackson, um, who came on board in the, in the early days and he helped build, you know, the first phase of, of the platform. So putting together the right team um, is, is quite difficult, especially because coders are in such high demand um, and the market is paying them really, really good salaries. So that was, that was quite, a, I guess, a challenge um, in terms of assembling the tech team um, to yeah to, to, to sort of to, to begin with and to get going with um, and we overcame that you know by getting Jackson on board and he sort of played a key role in terms of how we've assembled um, our team um, going forward as well and I think it's really a trial and error so I think when it comes to building out a tech product you know your failures are sort of your wins so each time that's why we've gone with the pilot route and the beauty of a pilot is that you kind of have everyone in this ecosystem who understands that we're trying to make this thing work. So when they pick up a problem, they don't say, oh no, cooler sucks, I'm never gonna use them again. They pick up a problem and they give you a call and they say, okay, fix that and add this. Or it'll be great if you added that, it'll be great if you added that. So that trial and error process, um, the pilot approach has proven to be quite useful. Um, yeah, has proven to be quite useful for us. Um, I think also going into an industry that has a lot of incumbents is difficult. Agriculture is a very close-knit community that's very difficult to get into. Um, so initially, it was very hard to open some doors because the industry is very close-knit and it's set in its ways. Um, but we've leveraged off of the partnerships that we've created. Um, we have, you know, we've partnered with the biggest agricultural bank on the continent, um, the biggest uh, logistics company on the continent, you know, the biggest seed company, the biggest chemical distributor on, on, on the continent. So we've sort of made these key partnerships to help us, you know, transcend into some of those rooms because it's, it's a very close-knit industry. But over time, we've sort of, yeah, we've made that, that progress. But probably the biggest hurdle of any startup is, is just getting the, eventually getting the funding components. And we were fortunate that we had a previous business that we had started um, and to meet a coder like uh, Jackson who came on board and absolutely played a key role. Is it generally difficult to get funding for this type of startup? It's incredibly difficult um, because the way that I'd say tech startups are fairly new in SA, um, especially in, in sort of the Silicon Valley approach format, because um, the industry is used to, you know, traditional businesses um, where it's brick and mortar. So it's mm -hmm. easy to, for example, agree on evaluation because, you know, you can just count the number of, of, of vehicles you have and the value of the building. 
and the value of you know the, whatever machinery you may have and they, and there you have it you have the the valuation of the business whereas with the tech startup it's very difficult because it's built on scale so you kind of have to work back from the future so a lot of investors in SA you know don't have the right approach in terms of valuing tech startups that's why often when you get into these rooms you find that an investor will tell you they want 60% of your business or they want 51% of your business which completely kills your fire as an entrepreneur because you know why is it, it's not worth your time anymore to actually work on this business because they're basically uh, taking it over so from that regard it's sort of very uh, difficult because the industry is used to that traditional way of dispersing uh, funding but also there's very limited capital in SA which makes the investors a whole lot more stringent when they have to come into your business and that's why our approach was eventually to find you know a company whose success um, would be tied to our success and that's how we we ended up uh, finding an investor where it was a, a business value proposition to say if we get this right it's going to drastically um, impact your way of doing business and improve your business in, in a major way Mm. And I think from what you're saying, it's not only the shared economy model that you are engaged with, but it's also shared values. I'm sure your yes, partnerships yes. are also aligned with the values of making a bigger contribution, not only to South Africa, absolutely. but across Africa as a whole. Yes, absolutely spot on. I think, I mean, tech is like a bullet train, you know, either it hits you, um, either it leaves you behind or either you get on board. Um, and I think everybody in the industry can agree that what Kula is bringing to the table is the future. Um, it's actually not even the future, it's the now. It needs to happen. Um, and I think our partners have come on board because they see um, that it needs to happen and they see that it will make the industry more transparent, more efficient and operate at a much better level than what it's operating at now. So we're looking at not only the pace of rapid change, but the adoption to technology in this environment which kind of has yeah. to work in parallel. So while you're making the changes yeah. and shifting, you also want your stakeholders to, to jump on board. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the evolving business and revenue models in agriculture sector, your market consolidation with bigger players, acquiring smaller players to achieve economies of scale and vertical integration, trend of precision farming and rising investments in agri-tech startups are some of the key factors that are fueling the growth of global agri-tech market. In your mind, how is South Africa keeping up with the global trends we are seeing in this space? I think we are making progress. Um, I think we are behind, but we're making positive progress. Um, I think, you know, the likes of, uh, I think the other industries, the likes of the success stories of Yoko, you know, the progress made by the likes of, of Sweep South, you know, the likes of Aerobotics. I think they've sort of awakened the, awakened the country um, and the ecosystem to the value that tech can bring and how tech can, you know, disrupt um, existing ecosystems. So I think I would say, Audrey, we're making progress, uh, definitely, but I think we're still quite far behind. And in order for us to get to where we need to, Government needs to play a key role and they need to be an enabler and create a conducive environment uh, for tech startups to thrive. And I think private sector is also going to be incredibly key um, in that success. But unless it's a concerted effort between private sector, um, public sector, and in creating that conducive environment, the pace is not going to be where we need it to be. Mm, for sure. Do you have any plans to expand your service into Africa over time? 
Yeah, I think we, we certainly have. And I think, uh, you know, the temptation is always to, to, to only look at it from an African perspective. Uh, but we're not only looking at it from an African perspective. I think it's very much probably at a starting point, an emerging market opportunity. So we're looking at, you know, the likes of we've done visits to Kenya. We've had, you know, Malawi uh, reach out to us, um, Botswana. Um, but we're also looking at it, you know, you look at uh, uh, ecosystems like Mexico, you know, like Brazil, I think South America has very similar constraints to what we have. And the opportunity there is, is an incredibly massive opportunity. So I think we've taken a very global view um, to the low, long-term projection in terms of where we want to take Kula. So certainly that's what we want to do. The way we've designed the business model for Kula um, is also very much uh, plug and play. So we don't, we're not owning a lot of infrastructure. Um, we're not, yeah, we basically built it for plug and play. So, Caritas, I just want to come back to, you mentioned your business model. How does Kula make its revenue? So, what is your business structure in terms of growing your business? Awesome, awesome. So, I think because naturally, because we have, uh, you know, multiple platforms, the business model varies. But um, at the crux of it, the principle that we use for how we charge on Kula is that we will never charge the user until we have done what we promised to do. Um, so our platforms are free to access, they're free to use. Um, until we've done the thing that we promised to do, we will not charge. So, but it's, it's largely a commission model. So on our inputs um, market, what we do is that we actually go to the suppliers. So these major suppliers, we set up relationships with the suppliers. And in setting up the relationships with the suppliers, all these major suppliers have a commission model for their salespeople. So they already have a commission model that exists for their salesperson where they'll say to their salesperson, look, if you move this much product, you will get X percentage um, in total. And the way they view us, they basically view Kula as a digital salesperson. So we tap into that. Um, so whenever a sale goes through, they pay us almost a fee for us being their salesperson, which is very good because we're not charging the farmer and we're not increasing um, the price that the farmer has to pay um, at the end of the day. So it's very much a, a, a commission model. Um, we only charge once we have delivered on our promise. So you've become a digital sales platform, another channel. Yes. Yeah, so Kula is almost a facilitator. So we mm. can give the allow the farmer to access the supplier directly, um, and basically allow the farmer to do the trade more efficiently. Um, we basically, you know, maybe the best way to think about it is that Kula is one big room, and we get all the necessary role players into that room to do business, um, which currently is very difficult to do. Um, and we help sort of make that process a whole lot more efficient. So you are running four years now, right? Yes. If you had yes, to do are. this again, if you had a choice, uh, would you do it again? And is it worth it? I think I would do it again a hundred times over. Um, I think, you know, it, it, it first begins as a concept. It first begins as, as an idea. But once you see, you know, a farmer go from, you know, 500K in revenue uh, to 3 million in revenue because you were able to connect them to a better market. Once you see a farmer, you know, double their yield um, because, you know, you were able to give them the, the access to the right technical expertise and access to the right products, um, I think that real impact that we see uh, for me would make me do it 100 times over. Um, and I think when you look at it also from a global perspective, the fact that issues like hunger, 
um, you know, poverty are very prevalent. Um, I think we're very well positioned to make a real dent um, in those ecosystems. Because when you compare the amount of food wastage, for example, that happens in the supply chain versus people who are hungry, it just doesn't make sense that we're wasting so much food, but at the same time, you know, we're speaking to issues like hunger. So I think Kula is a really big opportunity to make a dent in some of the world's biggest uh, problems um, and to really, yeah, to really just have a, a positive if- effect in just how the world works. And I think the reason I would do it over and over again is that whenever someone would ask me, you know, what our, our total addressable market is, it's 7 billion mm. because food is food. You don't subscribe or unsubscribe to it. You know what I mean? So, and I think being in an industry like that, for me, is exciting. And I think I'll do it 100 times over. That's very encouraging. And in closing, what advice would you give to startups in South Africa? I always get this one. <laughs> and I want to always make sure that, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a realistic answer. I think the first thing is you must start. That's the first thing. So you don't need to have it figured out. You don't need to be from the industry. You don't need a blueprint. You know, I think we are in a generation where we're so used to Googling things and they say seven steps to doing this and 10 steps to doing that. Startups are not like that. Um, So the first thing is to actually start. The second thing is to not be the smartest guy in the room. And what I mean by that is that you need to be open to pivoting. So you need to be open to listening to the market and hear what the market is saying and adapt your product, change your initial assumptions And over time, if you've got that element of sort of adapting and constantly listening to the market, you are going to get to a product that actually works because at the end of the day, we're not building cooler for Caritas. Caritas is not a farmer. Caritas is not a fresh produce buyer. Ultimately, you're building it for your users. So if you allow them to guide you in that process, I think that will be, yeah, that will be key. And also, I think a lesson as well, or something that I'm glad that we took, go into a market that is sizable, um, a market where there's great room for scale and constantly be pivoting. Um, yeah, and I think that would be my main my main advice. Thanks, Caridas. I mean, that was great wisdom coming from you. I wish you all the best and all the success in Kula and your future ventures. And thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for, for having us. We really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, we hope your users can check us out. We've got a cool new website um, that they can check out uh, that explains what we do. Um, and yeah, if there's any farmers listening, check out our inputs app um, and we'd appreciate any feedback. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Bye bye. Bye. We're excited. You're excited. I really value and appreciate your support during this time. Helping decision makers navigate the change and keep some change in their pockets. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow our Instagram handle at TalkDigitalZA. Engage us on our website at TalkDigitalZA.co.za. And who knows, you could be featuring on the next one.